G'day and welcome to video number two in our series on breaking pornography addictions and habits. In our first video, we covered the foundational understandings that we needed to tackle the issue of pornographic addiction and sin. First of all, it's a worship issue. Secondly, it's a heart issue that needs to be solved and grounded in regeneration. And it's an issue that cannot be helped by mankind's therapy and uh, solutions that simply come from human wisdom. We need the Word of God, the wisdom of God. In our second video today, we're going to be coming to an understanding of some more foundations, particularly to do with our relationship to God, if we are going to be fighting sin. It's fundamental to remember and to realize and continually uh, bring to your remembrance in this fight against sin, especially for those who have already developed sinful and destructive and disastrous habits of pornography, is that this needs to be a fight for the relationship you have with God. If it's anything other than that, if it's just a fight for a better habit, if it's just a fight for a uh, more healthy sexual lifestyle, if it's just a fight to be able to tick a box of holiness and to be able to boast to friends or uh, be able to um, feel better about yourself or feel like a better Christian, if it is a uh, fight that you want to win so that you can be qualifying for a ministry or a job or a marriage, that's not going to cut it. And even if in time you are able to make some progress or some changes, it will not be the kind of God-glorifying change that lasts or that is actual righteousness. It may just be a pharisaical, legalistic form of self-righteousness. This fight has to be a fight for your relationship with God. And so in this video, we're going to understand some foundational principles for your relationship with God. God. First of all, if you're going to be fighting sin of any kind, and especially as we talk about the enslaving, disgusting, defiling, guilt-bringing sin of pornography, and, and I know all those words resonate with you if, if that is where you're at. You feel filthy, you hate what you are doing, and you desire some kind of freedom from this, which you may feel is never going to be. Uh, uh, let go of you. You need to understand that uh, the walk forwards to freedom and uh, victory and responsibility and self-control and purity, the way forwards is a fight that needs to come from grace, not from merit. This fight against pornography is a fight for the relationship that you have with God. But it's not, I don't mean by that, that the better you fight porn, the more God will love you and have a relationship with you. What I mean is, to fight pornography, you need to ground the fight in your relationship with God. And so we need to uh, improve that relationship, improve your understanding of that relationship, improve your discipline in that re relationship, improve your affections, your love, your worship in this relationship with God. Then you'll be empowered and enabled to fight pornography. First of all, uh, as, as we started saying, it is a grace, not a merit relationship that you have with God. Of course, if you're a Christian, 
I mean, if you're not a Christian, you're uh, currently on a works-based relationship with God where he is merciful to you and that's why he hasn't sent you to punishment or destruction already. However, uh, when you die, you will be judged. And even at the moment, as God relates to you, he is judging you on the basis of your works and your deeds and how you live. But if you're a Christian, I pray this is you for the first time today, if you haven't already, or for those of us who are coming into this video already Christians, your relationship with God is based on grace, not on merit, not on what you can do, not on what you can earn, not on what you can offer. The relationship of God towards you is a loving relationship based on grace. Psalm 130 verse 3 tells us uh, of the kind of um, relationship that we can expect with God if we want to be works-based. For the Christian who wants to go further in sanctification, often the misunderstanding is, I got saved by grace, but now I get sanctified by, by merit. The better I do, the more God loves me and helps me along. And that's not the way that the Christian life works at all. You need to be remembering foundationally every step of the way forward here, that the ultimate love that God has for you, the ultimate reason that he gives you his Holy Spirit of power, the reason that he calls you forwards into holiness and promises you an eternity is not because you have earned anything, not even in your Christian life of sanctification. Sanctification needs to come from a place of grace and understanding God's love. So whenever we feel ourselves growing in a, in a unhealthy mindset of thinking, God kind of owes me this one. I've done pretty well. I've grown pretty good. I've, I've sort of got to a level where God could judge me based on my works and I'll be okay. Psalm 130 says this in verse 3. If you, O Lord, should count iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. You see, he's saying, if at any point of the day, any point in my Christian life, at any point in Christian history, if God was to just start judging people on the basis of their own works, even the greatest, most glorious saint would have nothing to stand on. Even the most mature Christian, even the most uh, uh, holy version of yourself in the future that has not looked at pornography for decades, even you will have enough lust in your heart to damn you. If God wanted to judge, if God wanted to uphold his holy standard and simply counting everybody according to our sins, no one would be left standing. The reason we have hope in our relationship with God is not because we hope to be good enough, but because we rely that he is gracious enough. That's why the next verse there said, but with you, Lord, there is plentiful forgiveness. There is mercy to be had with God. Our relationship with him at salvation and in growth of sanctification needs to always be based on grace. We can also look at uh, verse 12 of Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 says this, and it's Paul speaking of the power of the resurrection being worked out through my life so that I'm, I'm living a new life. Like Jesus lives a new life 
from the dead. I'm living a new life from sin. But he says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Friends, that needs to be our, our understanding. Don't ever expect or, or think wrongly that there's a future version of yourself who will be able to say he's made it, he's done, doesn't have to fight lust anymore, doesn't have to struggle with sin, he's perfect. Paul didn't find that reality. No one finds that reality this side of the grave. We continually keep on fighting and every day we fight not because we're perfect, not in the hope of being perfect, but because Jesus, before we're perfect, already made me his own already made us his children, already made us his brothers. He graciously loved us. Now that's a place we fight to, we fight from. Let me read the verse again. He says, I press on to make it my own, make that holiness my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beautiful understanding that our growth in holiness needs to come from an understanding of God's grace. Then we can remember in Isaiah chapter 1, Isaiah chapter 1, God is speaking through his prophet Isaiah, and he is uh, calling the people to repent. He's calling the people to turn to him so that they can receive grace. And I love the way that he says this. In verse 18, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. This is the promise of the gospel. This is the promise of God's grace. Come and receive grace. Come and be washed of your sin. If you're already a Christian, remember that you are washed of sin. He has made you white in his eyes. Therefore, you can power on and move forwards in the fight against pornography and all sin. So first of all, your relationship with God, which is foundational to your breaking of sexually sinful habits, is that it is a grace relationship, not a meritorious relationship. And the second thing that we need to learn, and remember, very closely related, is the mindset that you should have around your own sin. I want you to become an imputationist. I want you to have an imputationist mindset. And what I mean by that is that you believe the doctrine of imputation, which will, I will explain in a moment, and you believe it not simply as a doctrinal and theological point, a page in a theology textbook that you read, a part of our statement of faith that you affirm, but that you have an imputationist mindset and heart set that informs how you feel and relate to God because you know what has been done with your sin and you know where you stand before God. Imputation is the most glorious doctrine <laughs> for sinners. Imputation uh, is, a, is a word that comes from the, the, the root impute, uh, which means to count or to reckon or to credit. Uh, we can use this word financially, to credit our money to somebody else's account or to reckon somebody else as as uh, a financial uh, support or financial 
um, assurance or something like that for somebody else. It's a consideration of, of a reality that is then forms the basis of the relationship. We see imputation happen three times in Christian history. First of all, there's the imputation or the transferring of credit from Adam's account to, our, to all humankind's account. That is that his sin was imputed from him to everybody that was born after him. So we're all born in sin, born dead, because he was representing us. Secondly, the, time, the next time that imputation happens in the Bible is that the sin of all those who would be saved is imputed to the holy and perfect and blameless Jesus Christ, who went before the Father, carrying our sin, became so identified with our sin that he died the death under the wrath of God as if he had lived the sinful lives, mindsets, thoughts, actions, words that every single person had lived who believes in him. He identified with those sins, became responsible and accountable for them because they were imputed to him and he went and paid them in full to the Father with his blood and his life. He then rose again as a confirmation that he did finish that payment. He's not still in the grave paying it. He's not in hell still paying off the change that he couldn't afford. He has fully paid it all. And the third point of imputation is that the righteousness of Jesus, the positive, perfect wealth of righteousness that he had earned through his law-keeping life, is then transferred or credited or accounted to humans who trust in him by faith. So that everybody who simply looks on Jesus, considers his sacrifice, his resurrection, his person, his ability to save them, and they hear that in the gospel and say, I believe that, I trust Jesus, not myself. I rely on Christ and not myself. I have faith in him and not faith in myself to save me, to make me right before God, to that person who has faith, the righteousness of God in Jesus is transferred, accounted, or imputed to their account. And that is a righteousness that Martin Luther called an alien righteousness, a righteousness from outside of us, so that it's not actually reliant on us. It's simply accounted to us. What this means is, if that is true, if God has considered and imputed Christ's righteousness as ours and our sin as Christ's, then there's nothing we can do that will change God's, under, uh, God's relationship to us or that will change God's considering and reckoning of us. He has declared us righteous in the gospel. If you believe in Jesus, God declares you righteous even while you are still not a perfectly righteous person. You have not yet reached the goal. But you seek it because Christ has made you his own. God considers you to have, under the law and under his judgment, even though he knows you're still a sinner, he promises to treat you as somebody who has a perfect and infinite, blameless righteousness according to the law. Because Jesus gave that to me. That's the doctrine of imputation. It's the gospel. It's the heart of the gospel. And if you don't have that mindset, you won't be able to deal with your sin. You will rely on what you are able to do because you're not relying on what Christ has already done. You will 
become completely disheartened and depressed and distressed and empty and hopeless and helpless if you fall into sin or if you foolishly look at pornography again after maybe a, a, a streak of, of, of God's gracious kindness in your life and, and you're holy for a few months and then look at pornography again, you will not become hopeless and helpless and, and distraught. You'll be broken over sin, but you understand that you are still righteous before God and you can fight from that point of grace and righteousness rather than re uh, relying and building all of your hope on your own doing. You need to have an imputationist mindset. So that as Luther said, if the devil comes up to you or anybody in the world or even your own conscience and reminds you of your past sin from yesterday evening or your past sin from this morning or your past sin from that night that you looked at pornography, whatever it is, you can own that. You can remember that and say, I know I did that. I'm not glad I did that. I won't excuse that I did that. But Jesus died for that. And I don't need to wear it. I don't need to pay for it. I can delight in God as the savior of sinners and I can walk further into his holiness and glorious purpose for me in the gospel. Let me show you some Bible for this. I'm a Bible guy. We're a Bible church. I want you to be Bible men. Let me not just tell you things. Let's hear God's own very word saying this. Look at back at Philippians 3. I know we, we, uh, we were there just a moment ago, but just prior to Paul talking about him striving for sanctification, he talks about the glory of justification because of Christ's righteousness. In Philippians 3, uh, verse 8, sorry, let's start in verse 7. He said, whatever gain I had, and this is Paul talking about his prior religious life as a Jew who had self-righteousness. He said, whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. The righteousness of Christ, which becomes ours. Paul is not just saying, I, I considered everything lost because I wanted to experience more love from Jesus. That's not bad. But he's saying, the, the reason I wanted to let go of my own good works and come to Jesus and rely on him by faith was because by doing that and becoming unified with him in covenant, I receive his credit. I receive his, his, his past. I receive his record. I receive his righteousness. And in that righteousness, I come into relationship with God the Father, with God the Son, with God the Holy Spirit. And I am uh, made a, a partaker of the covenant of grace. That is glorious. Well, Paul will talk about this also in uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. He says this. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 21. 
for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is a doctrine of imputation. It needs to be your mindset. It needs to be your blood flow. It needs to be your DNA. I am not counted as righteous before God because I earned it. I'm counted as righteous before God because I have an unstained, perfect, infinite, divine human righteousness in Jesus before the Father forever. I will never pass out of that status. I will never be thrown away from that because of my earthly, fleshly sins. What Jesus has earned, we cannot unearn. What Jesus has given, we cannot take away. His righteousness for us. Or let's just go to Romans 4. I hope that this is not just helping the uh, uh, your understanding of how to fight sin, but is also uh, uh, becoming a, a good Bible study for you that you might write these down and be able to refer to them later. Romans 4, the doctrine of imputation that uh, Paul will describe. Look at verse 5. To the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Verse 7. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and those whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord does not impute his sin. When God does not impute your sin against you, count it against you, but when he counts it to Christ and Christ's righteousness to you, you're the blessed man of Psalm 32 that Paul is quoting here. That is a glorious, the most glorious thing to be able to say. Christ is mine. I am his. His righteousness is mine. He took my sin. I'm alive in him. Imputation needs to be your mindset. And then thirdly, we need to realize that this is a fight that relies on the person and the power of the promised Holy Spirit to us. So firstly, it's a relationship with God based on grace, not merit. You need to have an imputationist mindset that it is Christ's righteousness which is unchanging for you. Therefore, you can strive and you are not counted righteous because of your own doing. Thirdly, this fight is going to be based on the relationship you have with God as you rely on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was given to us by God as part of the, the long-awaited promise of the gospel. In the Old Testament, some people, every now and then, for short periods, received the Holy Spirit and then he would leave. The main dwelling of the Holy Spirit was in the temple, locked away from other people, untouched, not really accessible. That was to show God's holiness. But in the death and atonement of Christ, and in his resurrection and ascension to the right hand of God as king forever, they sent down to us the Holy Spirit, who on every Christian, not just some people now and then, but on every Christian for their whole life is the Holy Spirit in your soul, bringing about righteousness, bringing about the promises of God, bringing about an understanding of Scripture. Peter mentioned this when he preached his sermon on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. It was a blessed part of the gospel proclamation. He says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
This is the gift that God gives to us so that we can be saved, so that we can grow, so that we can become holy, so that we can persevere. His first great gift to us was himself in his son. His second great gift to us is himself in the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is now that Jesus has left earth and is in heaven. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God for us, which is bringing us into the, the relationship with the Lord, holiness, understanding of scripture and perseverance. We're going to talk more in future videos about foundational understandings we need to have. But may God bless you with what you already understand. May God grow you as these principles come deeper and deeper into your heart.